Greetings, troubled listeners, and welcome back to the Troubled Men podcast. I am Renee Komen, sitting in my safe house on the line with my co-host, the original troubled man for troubled times and future mayor of New Orleans, Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Welcome, Manny. Hey, man. What's going on with you? Oh, you know, just uh, trying to make it through. You know, you, you would think that, you know, since, since I haven't had a, a real music job in eight months, that I, I would have a lot of free time. It's not, doesn't seem to be the case. Uh, I'm having to run from one thing to the next. I well, don't know. I don't so know where the time goes. So you don't have a music job, but you're busy. What does that mean? Yeah. You're busy doing what? Well, like today I had to get together with the iguanas and we had to tape a song and a little spiel for this uh, virtual uh, gala that, that someone is holding in New Orleans where they, they usually have a big uh supper dance and give out awards and stuff well i can't do that so they got a whole bunch of different bands and they each band is going to uh record a song you know videotape a song and uh and and a little uh talking part beforehand introducing the thing so anyway had to spend two hours today doing that and and was kind of panicked ahead of time trying to logistically set it all up to make the deadline hmm Oh, uh, well, okay. Um, well, that's doing something musically, isn't it? I yeah, mean, yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, yeah. it is. I'm, so, but, but so, so that's how I'm occupying myself is uh, these, uh, with these stopgap measures uh, uh, instead of actually going and playing a real music job. But let me ask you something. If you were just sitting around your house with your thumb up your ass, Mm-hmm. How could you possibly think you were doing nothing? <laughs> right on. I, I see your point, Manny. <laughs> I see your point. Yeah. Yeah, so, that, that would be something. Yeah. So don't worry. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Uh, I know, I, I know uh, you've got problems like we all have problems and you're dealing with all this stuff. Uh, but you're going to be all right. Uh, but... Uh, so that's good. You did something. It was uh, what one of these uh, award shows, local award shows. I can't do it anymore. Or um, right, exactly. Yeah, it's. Uh, I can't. I've never heard of the the uh, the. It, it's. It must be some sort of community activism uh, awards. That's what I'm guessing. Huh. And they asked you, "Are you an activist, Renee?" Um. No. No. I'm an inactivist. Yeah. No, they. 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 Uh, they they asked the iguanas and and uh, actually one of our our uh, previous uh, podcast guests was the uh, the point person uh, Hannah uh, Krieger Benson was uh, reached out to us so in spite of all our efforts on the Troubled Men podcast we did not alienate her so that's, that's she's she's a stripper right she's a stripper we no, had our- no 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 she's uh, she was one of the dueling piano players at uh, Pat O'Brien's she's also runs the New Orleans uh, cultural coalition which is kind of a lobbying group for musicians and performers uh, with the city council and and uh, uh, some state organization, state state government, but uh, yeah, it came through her. Um, so I don't know. Uh, you know, well, Manny, uh, in 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 New Orleans news, just to 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 recap, 
Uh, we talked about this a few weeks ago uh, that, that uh, you know, they had the swingers convention in town. Yes, yes, yes. And now a big story came out about that, I heard. Yes. Yes, yes. That, and what was it? What was it? What was the big thing? Well, so you and I speculated as they were having the swingers convention, like, well, Jesus, people can't even be in the the you know, go see a Saints game together, but they're going to be swapping partners here. Right. <laughs> the whole convention in, uh, in a hotel. So they, they actually did come and do that. And uh, they said, they described it as, uh, you know, this, this uh, convention, it's a four-day swingers convention that included erotic balls and romps in playrooms at a downtown swingers club. Yeah. Say so this is this has resulted in 48 positive COVID tests. Uh, have 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 come out of this. Yeah, and I heard, I heard the organ. I heard the organizer event of the event has uh, said if he had to do it over, he wouldn't do it. Then he say right. something like that. Well, uh, he, he he said exactly that. Like he like he couldn't have predicted all this. Who knew this was going to happen? Right. Who knew this was going to happen? <laughs> stupid idiot. Stupid <laughs> stupid people. I mean, I like to. I like to swing just like the next person, but you know, uh, sure. you know, but during a pandemic, uh, not good idea, not a good idea, right. you know, right, right. But I guess he, I guess he didn't want to lose his security deposit or something like that. I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, they they said they ta- talked to the people and they, they said, well, in almost every case, people admitted that they were super digil- diligent on the first two days. Then they relaxed a little bit on the third day, and then they said, fuck it, it's our last day. <laughs> and, and they literally fucked it. So basically, there was about three days of blue balls, right? Sure, <laughs> yeah. sure. Three days of blue balls, and then uh, three days of whine, whining females, you know, which is never good, you know. Right. But, uh, yeah, but, you know, fortunately... Because apparently this convention, which happens every year in New Orleans, attracts like four to five thousand people. Hmm. And this year, well, no, this year they only had like three hundred. Yeah, this usually it's about four to five thousand people who are just Gee, you know, you know, who uh, are part of the key club. You know, they're just <laughs> doors are unlocked on every floor basically during this, <laughs> okay. during this convention. Oh, that's got to be a real, that's got to be a real sight, Manny. You know, you and I have talked about the, the naked bike rides and the, the nude beaches. Well, this, that's, this has got to be like, I don't know, levels of magnitude worse than that. You know, people that are just that ugly, but actually fucking each other. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 uh, you know, it's like, it's like those, uh, uh, those crime shows that I watch where they always say before the next, uh, uh, scene that, uh, this this scene might be too much for you, so you might want to like skip this scene, or you know, you know, uh, it's going to be hardcore, or, uh, you know, and, and of course you watch anyway, and it's never as bad as you think it's going to be, you know. But okay. in this case, in this case, I think it's as bad as you think it's going to be, you know. <laughs> it's just that bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that bad. You know, I'd hate to be someone working room service in one of these hotels, you know. That have the uh, <laughs> swingers going on, you know, it, it's just too much. But uh, right, yeah. Well, because they were saying, you know, w- even you know, had had the convention been, 
you know, more careful or had some, you know, st uh, more stringent protocols in place. They said, ultimately, we can't control what people do when they go back to their hotel rooms. And so, well, yes, that's very true. Well, very it's, true. It's, it's pretty much just like, you know, um, the colleges here that we've talked about. You can't control what the students do off campus. You know, we've right. said this before. You can't go and control all that. You just have to hope that they're mature enough at that age to uh, know what the hell is really going on, you know. But uh, they don't. Uh, we'll see what happens. No, no. Well, to wrap the story up, the, the last couple of paragraphs of this pretty long article that, that came out in the paper today said, uh, Never, nevertheless, the Swingers Convention seems destined to join the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally in South Dakota in August <laughs> in terms of notoriety. Yeah. And this guy's quoted saying, New Orleans has made its mark here. <laughs> this is very attention grabbing and everything. And I thought, well, you know, if Ray, if Ray Nagin was still our mayor, he would point out that uh, we're just keeping the brand out there. You know, that's, this is, uh, this is, there's no such thing as, as bad publicity. Right, so, right. Exactly. There's no such thing as bad press. But uh, yeah, another thing, you know, we're getting ready. Um, this Saturday is our election for the, the runoff elections that uh, from November 2nd, they're this right. Saturday. And it's getting nice and juicy right now, uh, uh, especially for the big race uh, for the district attorney's office. Uh, mm -hmm. um, uh, we have that girl, uh, Tava Landrum, who was right. uh, good friends with the incumbent. But then we also have Jason Williams. And uh, I don't know if you've seen any of these commercials lately, but they're, 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 they're just cutting it, man. They're just really getting into it. It's, it's, it's pretty good. I mean, she's like... She's on, on the Jason Williams commercials. He's calling her everything from a, from a, you know, a, a murderer to a, you know, a, a bitch. And, uh, and then on her side, she's calling him, you know, a, a guy who can't pay his taxes and or doesn't pay his taxes. Or right. Tax cheat. Kind of. yeah. So it's going to be exciting to see what happens. But, but, you know, I was thinking about the politics down here and elections and stuff. And you had mm -hmm. said, you had said, um, I think a week or so ago that, uh, you know, with this, apparently we're going to get a vaccine soon. And, uh, and the federal government is going to let state and local governments handle how they distribute the vaccine, right? You had, right, right, right. And you had said how, how gee whiz, you know, you're going to let New Orleans, a city that can't fix potholes or fix the levee, the swamplands, you know, right. sewage and water. Run, run a school system. Yeah, run yeah, a yeah. school system, you know. And I started thinking about that. And, and you know, the mayor's election will be next fall, which, you know, I'm, I'm gearing up for. So sure. I, I was thinking about, uh, you know, all that stuff and all that stuff that, that people ran in the previous elections on how we need to stop crime, we'll fix the potholes. And, and I, I've said this for, for the last two elections, the last eight years, you know, we, we talk about the same topics and nothing ever gets done. You know, yes. so why not just forget about all that stuff and focus on things that we can fix in New Orleans? And I thought about this all day today at work and at lunch. And it's like, well, I was thinking I had my notebook out and I had my pen. And in the, I put the question out there, what are things we can fix in New Orleans? And after 12 hours, I couldn't think of anything. 
<laughs> I was saying, I was about to compliment you, saying, Manny, I, I, I really appreciate that you're doing the hard work here. You know, you're really, uh, really, but uh, I, I guess you've come to the conclusion that, uh, yeah, it's, what's the point? The only thing I could think of, and this was on a funny note, is like, uh, if I run for mayor, I'll get rid of the bat problem we have in New Orleans. Which we don't have a bat problem. Okay, there you go. There <laughs> you, you know, go. But I, I thought about this, and I was uh, driving home today at five o'clock. I said, you know, what are the things we can fix? And I couldn't think of one. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, at least you're being realistic. You know, it's, yeah. Uh, the, you know, the, yeah. The, the voters might appreciate some honesty well, for change. Um, the one thing I have noticed that's getting kind of fixed is um, the uh, Hard Rock Hotel is uh i've seen it the last uh few days it's it's getting shorter and shorter the hard rock hotel. really yes okay. they're, they're, they're really uh they're like doing, us yeah they're, they're doing something man and uh uh we'll see how it goes but they, they have a deadline they said uh early january this thing should be you know totally torn down and ready to uh, build another hard rock you know <laughs> i don't know they're going to start over again yeah right start over. right over again you know but yeah it's getting shorter and shorter it's, it, remember it was a 13 story build a 14 story building when it collapsed right. now now it's about a 6 story building Okay. Well, you know, you, we, you were at one time trying to secure the, the first floor office space uh, <laughs> right. for, your, for your campaign. So I don't know. That, that may be in jeopardy at this point. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be in jeopardy, but uh, it would have been good rent, good cheap rent. But, uh, right, right, you know, right. So, and, uh, and, and close to, uh, close to the ring room, you know. Yeah, well, that could be, uh, that's what I was thinking. Maybe the ring room could be our campaign headquarters. You know, I hope I hope they uh, hope the ring room uh, lets me back in at some point. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't I don't know anything about that. I feel bad right. um, because the, the weirdest thing is, you know, uh, being a member, I can still go and sit in the ring room and stuff like that. But there's no bartender, but there's mm. still tons of booze behind the bar. So. <laughs> <laughs> kind of serve yourself operation. Well, I, you know, I, sometimes I look and I go, uh, no, I better not because there's no yeah, ice. Yeah. There's no ice there. There's no ice. <laughs> okay. And I've always said the best mixer is ice, you know? Right. So, uh, you know, and so that's, that's good. That's happening. What else is going on? Uh, well, just one, one, uh, more public service note that I saw today. And we've talked about this before as well. That they came out, maybe one uh, airline, maybe uh, it's maybe the leading edge, but they have disallowed emotional support animals going forward on airline flights. Oh. They're only going to allow service animals. So if you're if you're you know if, if you're blind or if you have an actual you know uh, disability, then you have a service animal, then you can have that. But no more uh, emotional support squirrels or uh, kangaroos or <laughs> right or uh, a wombat, you know, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or you know chinchilla. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Well, that's good. I mean, that's bullshit, this emotional support thing. Take a fucking pill, man, if you can't right, make it. Right, right. That's what alcohol's for, right? Yeah, that's what those little mini bottles are for on the airline. You know, right, that's their emotional right. support. And if you're mm -hmm. lucky, uh, if you're lucky, you can uh, join the Mile High Club on the plane, you know? That's right. That's yeah. right. You, you know, because if you got an animal look after, it's just going just gonna to be cock-blocking you. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, other, th- other than that, um, it's been a pretty slow week. Um, I, I, but I did discover, uh, I don't know if you've seen this in the, in the international news or whatever, but um, uh, on Sunday morning I woke up and I opened my curtains and I looked out to my backyard and there was a monolith in my backyard. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I've seen those are going around. I didn't realize yeah. in New Orleans, but okay. I, yeah, there was the a monolith. The- and I, th- you know, I heard the story about the monolith in Utah, and, and there was one mm-hmm. in like uh, Turkey or Hungary, and mm-hmm. there was a monolith in my backyard. And but the pictures I saw of the monolith in Utah and, and in and in Europe uh, were just they were just there by themselves solo. But my monolith had all these. Uh, apes freaking out around it. It was the weirdest thing. <laughs> All these a apes. crowd back there. Yeah, uh, and I freaked out. I, I, I called the cops, and of course, they never came. Um, uh, but uh, I, I closed the curtain and went back to bed, and I woke up a couple hours later. They were gone. It was all gone. So Okay, no harm, no foul. No harm, no foul, except there was a lot of ape shit all over my yard. So uh, Yeah, I could have predicted that. Yeah, but uh, uh, it reminds me of that movie. <laughs> anyway, um, right. that's pretty much all I got. I'm excited about tonight's guest. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. This uh, is a guest. I, I actually was aware of that. That uh, y- you know, he he had this great news on the horizon, and I thought about contacting him. I thought, mm, you know, I, it's, I don't want to bother him. Uh, but then it turns out he reached out to us. So uh, we were very flattered, very flattered by that that uh, attention. Fan of the podcast. Oh, yeah. oh well, yeah. well, fan of the podcast. Uh, yeah, nice, right. nice, right on, right on. Love it. Okay, well, should we go ahead and introduce our guest? Since sure. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's worming his way into the podcast here. So uh, <laughs> he's a he's a, a Memphis native. He's a an Emmy and Grammy award winning writer and filmmaker. Uh, his his. First book, Landmark uh, Tome, uh, is, is just receiving its uh, 25th anniversary revised edition. Has, has just come out. It's a fantastic book. Uh, it's called It Came From Memphis. Uh, without further ado, Mr. Robert Gordon. Welcome, thank Robert. You, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, how's Memphis tonight, man? Good. Always good, man. Love to be here. Uh, you know, if I can't be in New Orleans at the Swingers Convention, I might as well be here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for the Mile sure. High Convention now. So, there you go. So, Robert, uh, it came from Memphis. So when it came out in 1995, it was a, a, a landmark uh, book in, in the sense that, you know, uh, the Elvis had been written about, you know, the, all the, 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 the big Memphis acts had been covered uh, exhaustively. But you come up with this book where it's kind of a love letter to the Memphis underground, to the, the, yeah. the misfits. <laughs> so talk about that some. Well, you know, that's just what I came up in. Um, I'm born and raised in Memphis. Um, I was the oddball guy in high school, you know, everybody's going, I can't wait to get out of here. I'm like, yeah, I can't wait to get out of school either. So we can go back to Midtown and downtown and we can climb on buildings and we can go to Furry Lewis's house and we can go, you know, all these old blues players were alive. They were accessible to me. Um, 
there was a lot of excitement here and getting into that world led me to a new way of thinking and uh it took the it took you know the 25 years uh for me to understand the book i I didn't really people have come up to me over the decades and said wow man i read your book and it really changed my life and i never got that until i went back to it for this edition and i had that distance and i realized that it's sort of the jim dickinson thing the idea that um Mm -hmm. that 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 imperfection that 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 the flaw in the grain creates the beauty that if if everything is the same then you don't get there's no excitement but if you have a mistake if you if you can embrace the things that are different or that aren't supposed to be there um it adds dimension and so i think what people take from this is the liberation to be an individual and not to try to you know in musical terms to have a hit that instead of having a hit like in Nashville where it sounds like everybody else, you come to Memphis and make a hit that sounds like nobody else. Right. Right. And man, talk about Dickinson. This book is worth its weight in gold. Just in Dickinson quotes. <laughs> uh, Stanley Booth called Dickinson a quote whore, but I just really thought that was kind yeah. Of, it's kind of misguided, you know, because because um, Dickinson wasn't, you know, he wasn't like given the quote just to have the weird quote. It's a real way of of thinking. It's a real approach to art and life, and um, and and Dickinson really opened that world up to me, and you know, and he kind of validated it for me. When when I first encountered Dickinson, I'd already encountered Furry Lewis um, as a fourteen. Right, and you were you were going to hang out with. Right, I was going to say you were hanging out with Furry Lewis when you were in high school, right? I was hanging out with Furry Lewis before I could drive. I needed, you know, it was it was okay. <laughs> it was easier for me to go buy the bottle of booze than it was to get the ride to Furry's house. That's the kind of town Memphis yeah. was. And, and um, right much on. easier when I turned 16 and I could get there on my own, which was basically go down Poplar, the main dragon town, take the first right after the psychiatric hospital at the liquor store, and then the first left and Furry is on the left. And, uh, okay. and, and getting into that world, um, you know, I, I heard Furry and I visited him. And then I heard Dickinson's band, Mudboy and the Neutrons. Actually, I heard your old compadre, uh, uh, Alex Chilton, on that same bill. It was a daytime civic blues festival. And, and Alex wasn't scheduled to play. And he came out 1977, I think. And he came out playing the letter in a real punk rock version, you know, like he'd been to New York and, and had seen the horizon and was bringing it back to Memphis. Uh-huh. And, um, he introduces okay. mud boy and Dickinson and them get on stage and they're, they've got, um, sexy dancers who are, uh, part of the group and the festival proprietors pulled the plug on them and mud boy and the neutrons were, were pissed about it and and kind of caused a, a near 
riot, you know, fists went up in the air and Randall Lyon came out on stage going, they got a lot of goddamn nerve and everybody, you know, it's like, <laughs> I was 16, you know, uh, I, I, I was drunk on white wine with, oh. with, uh, I had to put my hand over one eye to see straight. And, and I was like, this is, this is amazing, you know? And, and the other thing was in mud boys music, I heard furry Lewis's music. So I suddenly understood in a, in a, in a way I never had before the connection between blues and rock and roll. So all that was kind of unveiled to me in this flash. And, and then I got, and I was like, I got to go talk to Dickinson. And he was actually the first professional interview that I ever did. And, and uh, huh. that's how this book kind of came to be. And y'all wound up getting really close over the years. Yeah, because, uh, and, and actually, check out this. W one day we're talking and he says something. I'm like, wait a minute. Are you talking about Yates Road? And, and it turned out that w w when I was a kid, my brother and I would go in the backyard and, you know, we weren't as tall as the six foot cyclone fence. We'd hold our hands up on it and lean onto these chains and look through our backyard at the backyard behind us where these hippies were always hanging out and loud music was coming out of this house. It turned out that was Dickinson's house. So we'd been neighbors when I was, you know, seven years old. And, uh, and so we, I, I like to think that our connection goes back that far. Right. Well, that's another way that Memphis and New Orleans are very similar in, in that New Orleans has that same thing where, you know, I'll meet someone and I really know them like five different ways, as it turns out. And I know Memphis is, can be an extremely interconnected, even incestuous kind of uh, scene in times where after a certain within a certain group of people after after uh certain amount of time has elapsed everybody has been everybody else's boyfriend and girlfriend <laughs> and uh and yes and people keep crossing paths th through throughout the uh the the decades as they as they go on i was just gonna say it, it doesn't stop you know it goes on for for years and decades yeah small towns man right right you know uh i think there's a real kinship I, I, it's kind of like a line that goes up from New Orleans to Memphis and then there's and then there's a Y and and it goes you know some of it goes over to Chicago but but the more interesting thing kind of it goes over to Baltimore I think the the New Orleans oh, right right yes Memphis Baltimore <laughs> Memphis, axis of Baltimore. I yeah. agree I think that's that that is there is a real through line between all those places it's yeah. a real a real kink that seems to be uh, embraced by the uh, population Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. And 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 your book, it's it's ostensibly a music book, but it's really like a, a cultural yes. uh, book, you know, because and because you you deal with uh, outs, you know, non musical things. You deal with like uh, you know uh, regional wrestling. Yeah. And, yeah. 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 Uh, you know the the inner. Go ahead. It's all tied together, you know. Um, and I, again, I didn't think of that as different or weird when I was putting the book together. You know, it was just this was the milieu that I was raised in. And and then everybody, you know, when the book came out where they were like, oh, he's, you know, he's connected uh, professional wrestling and cowboy movies and rock and roll. I was like, no, I didn't. I just, you know, that's what I just wrote about what was there. But I, but I think that 
coming up with that Memphis aesthetic, not seeing those boundaries that other people, you know, want to hold to. Um, I didn't, th those walls, those genre barriers, they weren't there. So someone like Sputnik Monroe, this uh, wrestler, is uh, immensely important to the rock and roll story because, um, one, he inspired all the kids, and two, he, you know, he created integration in Memphis. And what is rock and roll but, you know, a stance uh, for integration? So, uh, again, like Memphis and New Orleans, um, everything comes down to race. And, and Sputnik's achievement was to be the heel who appeals to the uh, African-American audience up at the top tier. He didn't, when he would win a match and everyone would boo, uh, it was, they were booing because he didn't, he didn't ask for applause from the, from the pretty ladies and the, and the cute boys down front. he, he was concerned with the upper balcony where the, where the black people were. And, and, and soon enough, these white kids who were going to become musicians realized, Oh, I don't want to boost Sputnik. He's a good, you know, that's, that he's doing a good thing because these kids were also hearing, uh, rhythm and blues on the radio. They were getting into that and they understood they already had the, in the inclination that their parents were wrong you know, that segregation was bad. So Sputnik fits right into the story. All this, you know, to right. me, it's all of a piece. But so in this book, uh, you talk about wrestling in Memphis. Does it have Andy Kaufman in it? This book does not have Andy Kaufman in it because Andy, Andy comes later. The Andy Kaufman stories are in uh, sort of the bookend to this book uh, called Memphis Rent Party. Um but yeah, this this book does have Jerry Lawler in it. Um, this book does oh, okay, have Spud cool. Monroe in it. You know, there was actually a label in Memphis called Barbarian Records that specialized in recording uh, giants, midgets, and transsexuals in the 1970s. And um, nice, Jerry Lawler cut his first recordings for Barbarian. And there's a great uh, promo shot in the latest edition where Jerry Lawler and Plowboy Frazier, this other uh, other wrestler who recorded for Barbarian, are pictured together, and Jerry Lawler looks like a midget. I mean, Plowboy Frazier is that big. <laughs> wow. And Plowboy's... Uh, uh, what about, do you interview any of the women who wrestled Andy Kaufman? No, 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 no. Don't go there. That's... uh. That's for your book. Uh, I'm not <laughs> writing saving something for you, Manny. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you know, Robert, like looking at what you chose to to write about, and you were saying, you know, other people saw a uh, a through line to it, but it was just stuff that was there. But I think it relates to you were you were quoting Dickinson something he told you the other day. You were you yeah. telling me about. Uh, you asked him about uh, how do you know how to mix a record, and I think it relates to that. So why don't you repeat that for us? I I would often you know my 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 day. I, I was trying to make a living as a as a writer, so I would take all these you know gigs where I, I had this one gig where I would report on the studio scene in Memphis every month for some magazine, and so I was spending a lot of time in the studios and spending a lot of time with 
Dickinson. And, and one day I'm looking at the console and Jim's throwing up some tape. He's about to mix something. And I'm looking at, you know, I'm thinking, man, he's got 24 tracks. Look at all those knobs in front of him. It just seems impossible. And I said, Jim, how do you mix a, a record? And his answer mm-hmm. has hung with me all these years um, because it's turned out to be the way basically that I build all my narratives. His answer was very simple. He goes, oh, it's easy. You just turn up the good and you turn down the bad. And I was kind of stunned at that, you know, yes. <laughs> because be, because it's, it is so it. simple. And, 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 I, and as I thought about it more, it's become the way I approach every book and every film I do. I look at all the things in it that, that I like, that I think are good, and I, and I kind of raise those up. And then I, and then I say, what, it, what story would have to be told that would connect these things? And so I don't know if I knew that. I guess I knew that when I wrote it came from Memphis. I'm not sure. But, you know, it applies. It's like I was interested in, in Jim Dickinson and Alex Chilton and Tav Falco and Sputnik Monroe and, and, you know, dirty blues. And I wanted to know where did the old black bluesmen and the young white hippies actually exchange information? Like how did they meet? And the answer turned out to be coffee houses, you know, as I talked to people. So I was Mm. just looking, I wanted to know the stuff I wanted to know. And, and I had a whole, I, I had a whole chapter I cut. I remember like, Right before submitting the book, I was like, wait a minute, man. I've got this chapter here about like the city's history and all this dry, boring stuff. I don't care about that. It's, it's, this is the, <laughs> that, that's the kind of thing that I thought the Chamber of Commerce would want me to have in there because without it, it, it wouldn't be a book. And I realized, fuck that. I don't need that. I, you know, turn up the good, turn down the bad. I cut that chapter, the whole thing like sang. Right away. So it's a philosophy I've maintained. Nice, nice. I like it, man. It's a, it's a, it's a good, uh, good rule of thumb for the nation out there. Just keep it simple. <laughs> Just uh, you know, lean into what you like and try to flee what you don't like. Exactly. Leave it behind. I mean, you know, so many times we have we we feel a certain obligation to include uh, what 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 we feel is obligatory, but that obligatory stuff, you know, let the, let the dry journalists cover it. You know, we're not interested. Don't need it. Get to the good stuff. Sure. That may be the good stuff for somebody else. Let them have exactly. it. It's, it's all yours. Exactly. <laughs> well, Manny, um, I'm, I'm looking at my, uh, my glass. How's yours looking? Oh uh, yeah. I think it's about time. Yeah. Let's do it. So uh, we always take a little break, and uh, Nation knows what to do. So uh, everybody go get yourself another cocktail, and uh, we'll be right back.
we're back. Back with Mr. Manny Chevrolet. I am Renee Coleman. Back with our guest, Mr. Robert Gordon. Now, Robert, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this product, but uh, the nation is. And uh, we, we've been affiliated with this terrific product that uh, Manny's going to tell you about right now. Lay it on me. Robert, are you listening? I'm, I, I'm digging into my wallet already. I'm in my Can wallet. Can you hear me in the back? <laughs> Four. Can you hear me in the back? Give me a dozen. All right. Robert, I want to tell you about the Velo Bar. The mm. Velo Bar, Robert. Yes. This, is a, this is a protein bar that'll fill you up and it'll calm you down. You know why? Because why? it's got 25 milligrams of CBD per bar. Mm. Perfect dose. The perfect dose to take the edge off whatever you're dealing with right now. And I don't know what you're dealing with, but we're dealing with a lot of shit. <laughs> and who doesn't need stress relief right now, Robert? The whole damn world is freaking out. Okay. The Velo Bar, Robert, is a plant-based protein bar made up of super ingredients, super food ingredients mm. like pumpkin seeds, hemp hearts, chia seeds. It's a great bar, Robert. It's called the Velo Bar, Robert. I want one. It makes a great breakfast bar, and it tastes fucking great. Mm. Well, if you want one, Robert, if you go to VelaBarCBD.com right now, Robert, and you can order two delicious flavors, dark chocolate or peanut butter. And if you go now, Robert, to VelaBarCBD.com and you use the Troubled Men 1-5 promo code, you'll get 15% off your order. Mm. 15% off your order. That's Troubled Men 1-5. And you know what, Robert? It mm. gets even better. Mm. It gets better. It's free <laughs> shipping. Free oh, yeah. shipping. It's a beautiful thing. So check it out, Nation. Check it out, Robert. Troubled <laughs> Men 1-5 promo code, VeloBarCBD.com. It's what you need now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. Uh, Troubled Nation, as always, uh, if you want to support the podcast directly, you can uh, jump on that PayPal link in our links or the uh, the Facebook page and uh, buy us a cocktail or, uh, you know, just go ahead and support the operating costs. And we, we always appreciate that. And, uh, you know, still have those Troubled Men podcast T-shirts are uh, going out. Uh, it seems to slow down a little bit. So, uh, you know, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, uh, you know. It's, uh, How many so have I, we sold, Renee? Uh, a handful, Manny. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's a handful. But, uh, so not much, but right? It's, it's, you know, we're, 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 they're not having trouble keeping up with the demand, I'll say that. But, uh, you know, the, the, the nation is getting what they need, and, uh, you know, it's, it's there for them. Are they getting what they deserve, though? Well, you know, it, that's, a good, that's a good question, Manny, and we'll, we'll all see, see if we get what we deserve. But to get back to you, Robert, so, so the book is being, is being uh, uh, reissued, this revised edition. Mm -hmm. um, what was the occasion for that? What, how, how did that come about, that, that after 25 years, you wound up writing a couple more chapters and, and there's uh, 80 more uh, photographs in there and a whole new publisher? Tell us about that. Well, so uh, Simon Schuster had the rights and they'd been putting it out. And then I guess sometime in the early 2000s, this new printing process was developed called Lightning Press or or instant print 
which basically means they can run smaller batches of the books and keep it in print, which is good. But the downside was it looked like those smaller batches were printed on a photocopier that was low on toner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was really eating at me, you know, because it's my little, it's my little baby. It's my first book. And it just looked like shit on the shelf every time I picked it up in a bookstore. So, uh, right. As the 25th anniversary was approaching, I pulled out the contract and I saw there that they were obligated to keep it in proper printing because Lightning Press hadn't been around when the contract was made. And my agent said, you know, either print it properly or give up the rights. And Simon and Schuster gave up the rights and third man had been interested. And I said, hey, guys, you know. I know Jack White's got a really good sense of design. Um, you know, as long as you won't do this as a lightning press book, let's make a deal. And they said, well, we only want to do it if we can do a whole new layout and, and you know, and a redesign. And I said, well, that's what I was going to ask you. So it was nice. It, it was really nice. It was super. And, um, and I, and the other thing I did in addition to, uh, all the, the additional writing you mentioned, I had gotten a letter, you know, a book like this, I'm sure there's new Orleans books like it. Um, when this book first came out, I was a, everywhere I'd go, people would come up to me and go, yeah, you know, your book's really good, but because I'm not in the book, your book's not complete. <laughs> and, and I understood sure. that, you know, and, and, and it was not an issue. I was like, okay, I'm sorry, you know, but, but, but one, one, letter I'd gotten had hung with me for 25 years. And this woman, Linda Crosswaith Terry, wrote me and said, you write about the husband and wife puppet team. Uh, my husband, Jimmy Crosswaith, he's all in the book, but I'm not in the book. You write about uh, the research done on Dewey Phillips. My second husband, Charles or Terry, he did... Um, you know, he did the Dewey Phillips research and I was alongside him. You write about Charles, but you don't write about me. And, and then she quoted, she cited Marion Keisker, the woman who worked with Sam Phillips and told Sam, hey, this kid named Elvis Presley is worth keeping your eye on. And, and mm -hmm. she cited Abigail Adams uh, in his letter <laughs> to John Adams, you know, the founding father. Who, and she said, right. remember the ladies. And I was like, damn. You know, it sounds like a bitch. <laughs> uh, I thought she had a point. And so when I got to do the new book, I did. Uh, she was the first new interview I did. And I interviewed about 10 uh, women who were, you know, on the scene, but not in the first book. The book already had in my defense, I'll say several women were already prominent characters in the book, including Marsha Hare, who's William Eggleston's girlfriend and on the cover of the new edition um, and others. But I, I did a bunch of new interviews, including um, with Lisa Aldridge, who was uh, Alex Chilton's muse at the time and um, several others. And, and I, and I feathered in all this new information in, in, into the book. Uh, nice. So, so that was sort of the goal. And I got to say everything about it, um, was exactly the way I wanted when, when third man presented the new cover to me, you know, um, 
I was like, man, this looks so good. It looks like a book that was from the 1970s, you know, are, right. are, are, are people going to be aware that it's like not an old book lying around, you know? So I, I've uh-huh. been real, real happy with everything that, that they did. Excellent. Excellent. And I will say that while I didn't write a letter to you, I actually did show up in the second book where I was not in the first book. So thank you for, for that. Uh, you know, <laughs> well, you had a great quote, to... you know, uh, I've been seeing you on stage. Uh, when did you join? I guess I saw you, did you join Alex before Tav or how'd that work? Um, uh, Alex hired me for the Panther burn. So I kind okay. of, I was, I was, I was not playing, uh, gigs with Alex, but I was playing with Alex when Tav had moved down here and Alex said, get Renee. So, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so I've been, and what was that? Like what year? 80s? It was like 83, 83. Yeah. So yeah. I've been seeing you on stage since then, but I heard, a, I heard a line that, that you said that I thought was really great, you know, for understanding, the Memphis aesthetic because um, it's funny, but it's very true, you know, because it applies to um, Furry Lewis and it applies to Book of White. You know, it applies to all the great bluesmen as much as it applies to Tav, which was a line that Alex said to you. And, 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 and it was, you know, uh, forget everything you know about music and just follow Tav. And, and right. You know, that's such great advice. It's like, the blues man is doing it the blues man's way. So don't be talking to me about bars and measures and stuff. You know, we're we're telling the story here and, and, and you got to follow the story. Right. Right. And I was, I was telling you that Alex said that to me just as a a way for me to uh, get through the gig, but it struck me so that I've actually used that advice on every subsequent gig I've ever played. Yeah. Which, Meaning, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what you think should be going on. If the singer thinks it's a certain place, that's where it is now, you know? Exactly. Uh, because the, the chance of the singer finding where you are, if they're already lost, <laughs> is very, very slim, you know? So yeah. the, the best thing you can do is just, just uh, you know, take that in your stride. And, eh, you know, it's, uh, I guess you could use that as a metaphor for life in a, in a certain way. You know? Definitely. Just forget everything you know before and, and just do what you know you need to do right now yes it's not about it's not about you being right or wrong you know it it, it, it's about being being where everyone else is when you when you're supposed to be when you're in a band and everyone has agreed to be here yes yes and and you know so much of like the the book goes from one of those those uh you know southern fried freaks to the next you know and that's <laughs> that's a that, that's something i really have a soft spot for you know we had uh the reverend fred lane on uh, about a month ago beautiful and uh and you know i talked to him about this and there's you know, there, there are certain people that are in the South and they know they're, they're misfits, they know they're outcasts, and when they, can, they get old enough to leave, they do, and they go to New York City or they go to San Francisco, but then a certain percentage of them don't leave and they dig in and they find each other and they create these kinky little pockets of resistance, you know, from behind enemy lines almost. Yes. And and your book is populated with those people. Yes. Subvert from within. within, Yes. Yes. (laughs) Um, Yes. I, 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 uh, when I was finishing the book, I would do this test and I would like 
go to a random page and and I'd go my my rule was go to any paragraph and go up one or down one and I wanted I was thinking of all the bands on the road uh who needed a little entertainment because a bunch of my friends were in bands and and my mm-hmm. and what I wanted was you could start a story and get a laugh you know it was like or at least get a good story so uh because right. they're not all funny but there's a lot of them that are very very funny my favorite compliment is uh my spouse read this to me in bed and we laughed out loud you know that that's what i love to hear because it is really a series of stories that are well connected yes and it feels like a friend is is like confiding all this in you like somebody that knows the scene really well and it's late at night and y'all are drinking and the person's just kind of <laughs> cluing you into all the shit that they know about that you would probably be interested in because you know you have a similar aesthetic yes good i like that thank you perfect well, so Robert, you know, this is, this is, uh, you know, your first book, but then you, you've had like what, uh, six or seven titles since then you came out with the, you know, Memphis rent party a couple of years ago, but then you have uh, respect yourself, the, the, the stacks yeah. record story. You have a uh, muddy waters uh, yeah. book and on and on, man, you've, you've done, but then besides all those books, you have a film career and <laughs> and as i'm as i'm looking through your your you know your your uh, your your work your history i realized that you, I, and i'd i'd seen this film and i love it uh, best of enemies it's about the the william f buckley gore vidal debates yep. turns out that you uh, directed and produced the that documentary yeah it's a long way from uh, jim dickinson and alex chilton but really not that far it's funny it, because I had a director friend in California turn to me and go, oh, I get it. You you just like characters. I was like, well, yeah, everybody likes characters. You know, what's not to like about a character? Um, So, yeah, that 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 movie came to be because a friend of mine here had acquired uh, most of those debates on a bootleg videotape. And I realized that they were so compelling in the raw, you know, that there was a great documentary to be made out of them. And in fact, it was 2010. And I was like, oh man, this is going to be sold in a heartbeat. We're going to be on, you know, we're going to be in theaters and on the air before the 2012 election because it's so timely. Uh And uh, my partner and I would leave all these meetings and, 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 and and the question was always, well, yeah, all this is very interesting, but what does this have to do with today? And we would turn to each other and go, what are we not saying that people aren't getting how relevant this 1968 debate is to the present right. moment? Talking about uh, the loss of civility and, you know, this is during the Tea Party uprising yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. And people are going, yeah, what? Are, uh, Even because... Part part of the the central thing is like William F. Buckley and Gore Vidal are are uh, debating, and and William F. Buckley starts to allude to uh, Gore Vidal's homosexuality, mm-hmm. and it's like, well, geez, man, is that really is that what we're gonna do do here? You know, start the, these personal attacks. I thought we were talking about ideas, right? Exactly, exactly, and it gets very uncivil, and and that was our sort of premise: is like, you know, let's make a movie about the about the demise of civility uh in public 
discussion and and you'll laugh now here we are in 2020 you know right cons- your, your movie didn't solve the problem let me just say that robert uh, i apologize didn't when i won my emmy award that was the apology i made i'm sorry we yeah. couldn't solve this problem you know uh b- because we thought our concern when we didn't get the funding in 2010 was that well the nation will never be as divided as this. So, you know, we're going to miss our moment. Yeah. Uh, well, it turns out, uh, yeah, the win- that window hadn't closed, Robert. Unbelievable. Um, you know, I'm doing all I can. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, so, and, and I understand that, that Aaron Sorkin has actually uh, purchased the, the, uh, the remake rights to that, that uh, documentary. Like, I so recall the first time I heard that beautiful two word poem remake rights. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and uh, yes, uh, fingers Eric, crossed, fingers crossed, man. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Now actually uh, he's let him go and, okay. And we're dealing with a uh, West End theatrical group that wants to turn into a stage play. And, okay. you know, I kind of think if they're going to go there, they should take it all the way and make it into an opera. Right. Wouldn't wouldn't William Buckley and Gore Vidal make a great opera? Yeah, absolutely. And you get uh, get Michael Cerverus to to uh, play one of the leads. That would be that would be fan. That would tie the the whole Troublemen podcast thing in there. <laughs> like, he's a he's a, he's a Tony winning, multiple Tony winning uh, uh, actor, and so uh, I think he'd be good for one of those roles. We'll figure it out. He can play right. anything. Yeah, uh, I'll talk to your agent. We'll get it sorted out. Right on, right on. <laughs> well, well, so so so, uh, but and you've you've. Uh, made a whole bunch of documentaries uh, over the years. And, and, uh, how did you get into filmmaking from writing? Uh, as a kid, I was into both, you know, and I actually, um, took a year of film school, graduate film school, um, and left out of there. And, uh, I, I was in Austin, Texas and I left out of there and came back to Memphis to make a, my first documentary without finishing school and that did well, got picked up by national PBS and, um, and kind of since then I followed the self-sabotage rule, which was <laughs> every time I got a film, you know, every time I finished a project in one medium, I switched to the other. So every film was followed up by a book. Every book was followed up by a film. And, and, you know, I, I didn't, I was, un, I, I didn't capitalize on the forward motion of any, it was, it was kind of because writing a book is a very solo endeavor. You know, you're down in that hole and you're, and it's dark and you're all by yourself. And at first it's great. <laughs> and at the end, you can't wait to get out. And then I'd get yeah. out and I'd, and, and I'd make a film and a film is a very group endeavor. And, and you're constantly looking around and going, God damn it. This film would be great except for you. And you, and you, you know, and you can blame on yes. I can't wait to get back in that hole. I get in the hole right. and I want to be out of the hole. So that was kind get of away way from of- all these fucking people that are, <laughs> that are messing me up and getting in my way. I can't wait to have a solitary pursuit where I'm only relying on myself. <laughs> it's the way it worked back, back and forth. It's the way it worked. Actually. I mean, this is the part that's kind of freaked me out. Uh, Best of enemies did really well. You know, it had like a nice theatrical run, uh, PBS, Netflix, won an Emmy. Um, 
and 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 I came and I was like, oh great, I've uh, you know I've earned some capital. I'm going to take these more edgy ideas out and get some funding and get them made. And um, man, uh, you know, I just like they didn't. Well, uh, it, this is kind of funny. One of the ideas I had was um, about the Irish slave myth. It's it's what we would now call fake news, but at the time, fake news was not an, a known term. And while right. I'm pitching while I'm pitching that, Trump comes out and starts you know starts this term fake news, and all of a sudden, my ninety minute documentary becomes like a ninety second news story. I was like, damn. <laughs> uh, and so, like one thing after another, I made a film. The only r- real film I've made, I think, since Best of Enemies was. Uh, with an Irish filmmaker friend of mine. Uh, I produced it and he directed it. It's called Best Before Death. It features this, uh, this, this, this English artist uh, named Bill Drummond, who was a musician for a while in a group called the KLF. I, I was completely unfamiliar with the KLF or Bill Drummond, but my partner, Paul Duane, was deep into it. And... Um, we and you know he got me in to produce and it was pretty cool we shot half of it in calcutta india and half of it in lexington north carolina so kind of wow. in the in the busiest place in the world and the slowest place in the world uh-huh and, um and that movie's now uh or 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 will imminently be available for streaming and i think it's out now as a blu-ray um and it's, you know, it's a very, it's not a very difficult film, but it's a, it's a film that doesn't follow. Here's the rule that, 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 that we broke. And I'll say it's the rule that Paul broke, my partner broke. And, 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 and when we were done, I asked him, do you want to, you know, go back and redo this? Cause his notion was the audience is going to dislike Bill for the first three quarters of the film. And then they're going to fully understand what he's doing and they're going to really appreciate what's going on here. And it's exactly the way the film is. Uh, And it's true, but it's not the kind of film that if you're submitting it to film festivals, you know, where they're only going to watch the first 10 or 15 minutes, they're going to hate him and hate, hate the movie. And they did. And so it, yeah, you know, (laughs) <laughs> it didn't. It didn't do well out on out in the world, but we're real proud of it as the film that it is. What's it called right. again? Best Before Death, oh. which which was uh, Bill's notion about his artistry. You know, don't don't give me flowers when I'm gone. My expiration date is Best Before Death. <laughs> Yeah. As opposed to that reminds me of another Dickinson quote. It's uh, I think the title of his book. He says, uh, "I'm not gone. I'm just dead." Yeah, I'm not dead. I'm just gone. <laughs> oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, is yeah. That yeah. Right? Okay. All right. Okay. I mean, you know, it's no, it's a, here. which is an interesting notion. You know that, and and it's kind of true because here we are talking about the way you know Jim influenced us, and uh, and so he's gone, but it's not like his ideas are dead. Well, speaking of the, these uh, these Memphis characters, um, this other film I want to talk about. Uh, so, uh, William Eggleston, the great William Eggleston. Oh, so yeah. this 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 film, Stranded in Canton, and you produced and directed that based on footage that Eggleston shot in 1975. Yes, um, Bill was early into the 
Portapack, which was the first portable video camera, um, which, you know, pre, what do they call them? Handycams. Um, it was, you know, people, if, if you wanted to film something, it required one person with a camera and one person with the audio and probably mm -hmm. a third person with lights. And mm -hmm. Bill took this video camera, which was all built into one and gave instant playback. And he, he, you know, he's, he's a great photographer and he, he's a great engineer. He's got a, his mind is really built around engineering. And he okay. pulled, he, he, he pulled the tubes out of the camera and replaced them with infrared tubes so that the camera was recording heat and not light, which meant wow. he could go into nightclubs and other dark venues and get an image, you know, at a time when there was nothing like the speed of the film or the, you know, the, the, uh, chips that we have now that do so well in low light. So people mm -hmm. would see Bill who, who was known to favor the bottle. Um, and they would see him <laughs> walking around with this, this apparatus and they would say, Oh hell, you know, Eggleston's just goofing around. Uh, you know, there, he, he can't be recording. There's not enough light. And they would, and so they would ignore him and just go about doing their normal thing. And, and Bill captured, um, a sense of the seventies of, uh, of the Qualude seventies that, that, <laughs> that, that, that you really don't see to me. It is like, um, that film is kind of two things to me. I guess it's the same thing. It's, it's 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 a it's coverage of the Qualude seventies, and it's kind of an autobiography of Bill, where he's filming everything around him, and the what you you know, and 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 Bill is the shape in the middle that you don't see. He's he, you right. know when you see the whole film, you get you get Bill because he's not right. in it per se, but he's the force behind it. Oh man, so cool, so cool. And and it's on um despite my best efforts to get uh Synetic Media to take it off of YouTube as per the contractual agreement. Um you know, it was supposed to come off of YouTube about 2000, I don't know, 10 I think. I've been trying for 10 years to get them to take it down from YouTube. Uh you can go to to YouTube and see it for free in its entirety. Uh stranded in canton uh check it out yeah, uh, yeah. The, the great william eggleston father of uh color art photography and mm -hmm. uh, and you know chronicler of of uh you know memphis underground uh nightlife and uh right right in there he's another one of the southern fried freaks that that peoples your your whole book yes exactly that's well, the important thing is that he, he fits into it came from memphis because he's part of the scene and um you know despite being uh, like he becomes great friends with Randall Lyon and Randall says in the book, the only way that he and Bill could become friends was because they were both on the edge. I guess that is sort of what my book is about. It's the edge. You know, I think Dickinson said, if you're not on the edge, you're taking up too much space. And, and, <laughs> and, and Randall uh, had no money and was this arch hippie. And Bill had lots of money and was this very proper and refined Southern 
gentlemen who had no interest in being hanging around other proper and refined Southern gentlemen. You know, he was much more interested in the edge. And and that's where the two of them met. And Randall became Professor Reflecto. He basically held the light <laughs> for him. And, uh, and he's got a great role in Canton. And and Randall, just to, for those that don't know, Randall is is connected through uh, Televisa with uh, mm-hmm. you know Tav Falco and Pat Rayner and you know another little pocket of of a scene that uh, you know the and and again you talk about cultural collision in, in yep. your book and I, and and also like people that have an animating force you know like a little scene that where there's just energy there and people are drawn to it who who want to have activity and. And it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it is. I, um, I, I, I remember taking a galley when I first got a galley of it came from Memphis, uh, up to Lee Baker, who's, uh, a, this great guitarist, uh, and played with Dickinson from and Mud Boy Mu- and the Neutrons. Yeah. 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 Played with Dickinson and Mud Boy and the Neutrons. And I, I was walking up to Huey's, uh, I lived around the corner and as I was walking up there with this galley to give to Lee, I I had this sudden fear hit me like, oh, my God, have I created this patchwork, this interconnected patchwork of people when it really doesn't exist? And I had this panic attack, <laughs> you know, and it's too late. I've got the galley in my hand. So I handed it to Lee. And about two days later, he called me and goes, oh, man, it's great. That book's great. And it was such a relief to have the outside confirmation that, you know, I that I hadn't imagined it that it was all there everybody was connected. Right, right, right. Absolutely. Well, just to we're we're coming down on the the downslope of, of the podcast here and so so you know you you have the new edition coming out uh you know 25 years after the first. You know a lot has changed uh you know uh when when the book came out uh you know Dickinson was around, Alex yeah. Chilton was around, Roland Janes, who's yep. all over the book, was still around. Um, all those guys are gone. Uh, you know, the Antenna Club is gone. But uh, but they, they, we still have things going on in Memphis. What do you th- think has changed or and I don't know since since the book came out? Well, it's kind of like um, Manny was saying at the beginning. You know. Um, things have to change. You have to, you know, stuff is going to rot and it's going to fall to the ground and you got to put something up in its place. So I don't, you know, I mean, we're all going to die. There's nothing we can do about it. Uh, I, 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 I look around and I don't, I don't see only ghosts, you know, I see ghosts and that's fine. Um, I feel them, you know, I'm, I'm constantly influenced by, all these people who help me uh, get my vision of the world. And I try and um, help other people. You know, the, the, the book is a way to help other people see that this is not about um, looking like, uh, you know, Cliff Richard or, or Justin Timberlake or whoever, you know, whatever ear, whoever's the cute guy, you know, the book is about finding your own vision and sticking with it and not, not being afraid to stick with it, not being afraid to be the flaw in the grain. And, and, and so, um, I see people who are drawn to Memphis 
as a place to express that. They, uh, on my first book tour for the book, I remember being in Cincinnati and all these different towns and saying, come on, people, you've got this in your town. You just don't know it because you're afraid to go there. And right. And I think people come to Memphis and are less afraid because it's sort of like going to Vegas, you know, in Vegas, people, uh, gamble and whore and it's okay. And, and in Memphis, white people go across the tracks to the black part of town and it's okay. You know, and I just hope that people take it home, that people take this sense of, of respect and, and collaboration home with them and look around in their own hometowns and say, Oh yeah. Um, I've, I've, you know, I've not broken through. Uh, I'm conforming when I don't need to conform. And, 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 and that's what I, I, I want people to see uh, wherever they live. And I think that that's what Memphis is a beacon for uh, back then and still t- to this day. Nice, nice, nice. Well, I mean, that's such a such a good wrap up. You know, I, I could go into <laughs> all these other characters and go back, but uh, maybe we should just hold that for a, a second time when you when you're yeah. not on a book tour, and uh, and we can we can dig into uh, you know Finest Newburn and Fred Ford and Charlie Feathers and Cordell Jackson and Alluring Strange and on and on and on on and on and, and on. Yeah, man. Fat yeah. Possum Records and Bruce Watson and uh, Ross Johnson and uh, you know the 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 list goes on and on and, and this this book is really every time I cracked uh, you know I hadn't read it in twenty five years and every time I opened a page just like you said I was like oh god this is so interesting and and inside baseball here i can't can't stop reading (laughs) that's great anyway robert well god man uh you know best of you know uh, we're so happy for your success and uh, you know what a what a talent and uh geez what a what a resource man well thank you renee uh you know listen let me thank you for all the uh good dancing i've done on the floors thanks to your uh your 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 bass playing and 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 your following of tav instead of trying to 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 lead him (laughs) can't put him in a box (laughs) next election manny i'm gonna vote early and i'll vote often thank you well you know renee i just have to say this was uh, another episode where uh you talked about so many people that I've never heard of. It's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, well, now we'll get you a copy of the book and uh, you'll be able to backfill, Manny. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't read Renee. Come on. I know. I know. <laughs> I, I'm just, I, I was going to, I was, I was trying to just try to play along. This is yes. And Manny. Yeah. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> well, uh, that seems like a podcast. Don't you think Manny? Yeah. Great. Gents. A pleasure. Thank, Thank you. Thank you, Robert. Thanks for coming on. Thank you all. Well, Robert, uh, in the troubled nation, we always like to say uh, trouble never ends. But the struggle continues. Good night. Good night. Omniscience information, give me Memphis, Tennessee. Help me find the party that tried to get in touch with me. She could not leave a number, but I know who placed the call. Cause my uncle took the message and he wrote it on the wall. Help me information, get in touch with my Marie She's the only one who'd call me here from Memphis, Tennessee Her home is on the south side, I am gonna risk Help me 
Just a half a mile from the Mississippi Bridge Last time I saw Marie she was waving me goodbye Hurry home drops on her cheeks that trickled from her eyes We were pulled apart because her mom did not agree Tore apart our happy home in Memphis, Tennessee Please help me get in touch with her in Memphis, Tennessee.